I'm so glad you're here this Sunday morning as we begin our brand new Christmas series, The Light of Christmas. We're starting today. You know that today is December the 2nd, and we're going to continue the 9th and the 16th and then the 23rd. And I want to encourage you to be here each and every week of this series. You know, friends, unless you're going to be out of town, unless you just simply cannot be here, then be here. I want to encourage you to do that. What we're going to learn together, how we're going to grow together is going to be so, it's going to be so wonderful. In fact, I think it's the kind of series that if you've got unchurched family members and friends, most all of you do, I would bring them with you because I think they're really, really going to be able to resonate with what we're going to be talking about uh, in this series. Now, let me say this. If you've got some people, say people that you work with that are like really, really far from God. And you can generally get them here one time during the holiday season. And you're like, you know, Pastor Jeff, I wish they'd be here with me every week of the series, but I know them and getting them here one week is going to be no small miracle. But they'll come one week. Which week should I bring them? In that case, I'd bring them on the 23rd. Because what we're going to talk about is going to be really evangelistic in its orientation on the 23rd. I think it's going to be a message that people far from God, it's going to make sense to them. A lot of people are going to be able to connect the dots. So if you've got a family member like that, or uh, a friend like that, that you can only get them here once. But I'd just say, hey, we got some special stuff going on uh, here at Christmas. Would love it if you would come and be with me. And I think, I think that a lot of them would. Now, uh, I want to begin this series this morning. I want to start out with a Christmas shopping story before we dive into the passage. Perhaps you've heard it. And it's a story about a guy and he starts off on the wrong foot, and this is going to make sense to you in just a moment as we get into it. Now, on Christmas Eve, at the last minute, how many of you know that's already problem number one, at the last minute, a new husband remembered at the last minute he needed to buy his wife a present. He tended to be a bit tight. How many of you know what that means? He's cheap. He doesn't want to spend any money and was unable to decide exactly what he would get. So he went out to an upstairs upscale department store. He went to the cosmetic counter and he asked the clerk, how about some perfume? I'd like to buy some perfume. She uh, showed him a bottle of perfume and uh, he asked, well, how much is that perfume? It smells wonderful. She said, well, this perfume right here, it's a great perfume. It costs $200. He said, that is way, way, way too expensive. The salesperson uh, returned a few moments later with another bottle and uh, he liked it. He asked again the cost. How much is this one? She said, what's well, half the cost? It's $100. He said, well, that's still way too expensive. In exasperation, the sales clerk came back finally with a bottle of perfume. It's the lowest amount they had. And, and she said, here, here's some perfume. And this one is only $10. The man rejected that one and said, that one and said, uh, to her. Hey, I don't want, that's still too expensive. And then he said these words, and I quote, I want to see something. I want to see something really cheap, which at that point, the clerk pulled out a mirror and handed it to him. <laughs> so uh, please don't point anybody, don't uh, isolate anybody, but uh, that may make sense to some people more than others. Now, it would be a faulty assumption to say to reach a conclusion that, uh, that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year for everybody because it is not. And that includes lots of you that are seated right here. 
Maybe for you, since Christmas last year, there's been a lot of things going on in your life. And so as you come into this Christmas season, it doesn't feel like the most wonderful time of the year. And that can be normal. Maybe what you're walking through right now in your own life. See, since maybe for some of you since Christmas last year, over the last 12 months, it may be that you've lost your job. You had no idea you were going to lose your job, or maybe you thought it may be pending, but you weren't sure maybe if your company was going to do layoffs or not, but you, you lost your job. Or maybe you're a person that you did everything that you could. You put your, your heart, your soul, your capital into your business. You tried to keep your business going. You were trying to, you know, just give it one last effort. But unfortunately, maybe since Christmas last year, you've had to close your business. Maybe you have financial pressure in your life right now that, you know, has increased rather than, than declined since last year. And so for you, this Christmas doesn't seem like the most wonderful time of the year. Or maybe you've lost a loved one in the last year, and that still feels incredibly painful uh, for you. Uh, there's a lady, wonderful, wonderful lady, sweet, kind, loving, wonderful lady that works at Chick-fil-A. And so, uh, you know, I go there. Some of you know, I do go there on occasion. And uh, about six times a week is all. But I go there on occasion for breakfast. And this lady, she lost her husband some time ago. And it's like any time you get around the holidays, uh, you can, and she's always, uh, you know, uh, you know, bright, smiling, uh, hopeful kind of person. But you can just see it, or I can. Maybe some others can't, but I can just, I see it when I walk in. You can sort of see it in her countenance. You can see it, see it in her body language and her facial expressions. And many times I'll, I'll ask her, well, you know, how are you doing? And I can already tell, you know, it's a tough time for her. And she's like, hey, thank you for asking. But this is real tough. You know, I haven't lost my, you know, I'm coming up on his birthday or, you know, Thanksgiving or like Christmas. And, and so maybe that's indicative of where you're at. Maybe Christmas this year doesn't seem like, at least yet, the most wonderful time of the year for you. Maybe you've experienced a serious breakup over the past 12 months. Maybe that, maybe that guy that you thought that you were going to spend the rest of your life with, and, and there was just a breakup. Or that girl that you just thought, she's the one, this has been the girl that I've always waited for, and I just knew, knew, knew that she was going to be my wife. And then there's this, you know, uh, breakup that occurs. It feels like it's a catastrophe, and maybe that's happened to you. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce. And uh, I know how painful that could be watching my own parents uh, go through a divorce. I know how it felt for us as kids. And we managed by God's grace to get through. And we're doing pretty well right now, at least as normal as we can be, knowing my siblings and me. But, you know, I can remember from that time forward, it was like, you know what? I'm never at Christmas going to go back home again. Now I may go to my mom's house or I may go to my dad's house, but it's not like I'm going to go back home anymore. And so maybe that has become a reality for you as well. Or maybe you've known sickness this year. Maybe you were diagnosed with something, a, a, a disease. Maybe, maybe you've just been living in some chronic pain. Maybe you walked through a time of depression and you're like, you know what? I'm normally an upbeat person, but I can't seem to pull myself out of this deep, dark hole. And I'm just depressed. And if I knew what to do about it, I would do something about it. But I don't know what to do about it. So having said those things, here's a question that I want you to consider for just a moment and see if you don't agree. Uh, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that when we, uh, when we come to times like right now into the Christmas season, which we're into two days into the month of December, Christmas, 23 days away, when we come into times like this, have you noticed, have you seen this true in your own life that both the good and the bad become magnified in your life? Wave your hand at me if you know what I'm talking about. It's like the good things 
that are going on in your life, they become magnified. They become better. They become greater during the Christmas season because it is, in many respects, the most wonderful time of the year. But for some of you, you've already found like, as most people have, that if you've got some bad, if you've got some negativity, if you've got some problems, some challenges going on in your life, it's like those can be, those can be magnified as well. And uh, I'll give you uh, just an, a personal example of this out of my own life. A lot of you know that uh, my mom, dad, I lost them not too long ago. And then I was just sort of calculating, well, you know, when was it? I'm, and then I've, I started counting sort of the months and, and uh, I come to the realization that, you know, this will be the third Christmas my dad passed away in, uh, you know, September a couple of years ago. So this would be the third Christmas without my dad, and although we lived in different cities, and I were very close, talked two, three, four times a week sometimes, and always, some of you have heard me say this, pick up the phone, hey, Jeff O, what you doing? And, you know, birthdays, Christmas. And so, um, just realizing that this Christmas season, um, I'm not going to be able to have that kind of conversation with dad again. And, uh, and, and mom passed away, you know, a few months after that. It was just after Christmas. And so, this is, uh, you know, second mom, without being able to call my mom or have my mom, she traveled more than dad and, and have my mom come down for Atlanta. And, and so the reality is that's not going to happen. For those of you that have lost loved ones more recently than the last couple of years, uh, maybe you're wondering, hey, Pastor Jeff, does it, does it get better? And, you know, my experience has been it does get better. It's never going to be like completely easy, but it does, you know, the distance between it does get better, but you're still going to have those occasions when you're going to really miss them, like right now. And then in January of this year, one year to the date after mom passes away, Mama was like legendary. My mom's mom, she's like a legend in our own family in so many ways. And like, this is the first Christmas. So this Christmas won't be calling on Christmas morning, mom or dad or Mama won't be doing that. And so, you know, the reality during this time of the year, that just gets magnified. It feels magnified to me. Sort of that bad, that that part of my life, I'm not real crazy about it. Like it, it gets magnified. Now, I, I've got to say, on the other hand, the good that's going on, uh, the good gets magnified. Like we just found out not too long ago that that Kinley and Landry and Brody, most of you, if you've been around here by uh, any time at all, you know that's our three grandkids, and they're five and and almost three and one and and. Um, they're going to be coming down. And then we got the news, hey, we're going to be flying down on Christmas Eve. And how many of you know that's like for us? That's, or if you're a grandparent, you know that's like, wow, they're going to be here for Christmas. And we're like really excited about that. And then Brent says, hey, and I get to stay eight days. And then I have to fly back, you know, go back to work. But then said, hey, Nicole and the babies. Now, don't tell him this. And I hope he doesn't listen to this message or watch it online. If he does, Brent, I'm just saying, son, I'm sorry. I'll buy you an extra gift or something. But, you know, when he said the next part, I got really excited. He said, hey, I'm going to be able to stay eight days. I'm like, that's great. We're going to play golf a couple of times. We'll have a great time. And then he said, but Nicole and the babies will get to stay from Christmas Eve till January the 15th. And I'm like, woo, now I'm really, really, really excited. And so, you know, Kenley and Landry and Brody and their grandchild producing parents, you know, better known as Brent and Nicole, they're going to be coming. And so that good gets magnified. And so I want each of you, and I feel so strongly about it. It's why I'm so excited about this series. It's why I'm so passionate and enthusiastic about this series. It's because I want in your life for you to be strengthened and encouraged this Christmas season. 
It's really the focal point. It's what's, you know, a huge motivation in my life that every Sunday, today and then next week on the 9th and the week after that on the 16th and then the 23rd, that each week as you come back, you're just saying, you know what? No matter what I'm going through, no matter how tough or difficult or dark things are for me right now, I can have joy. I can be optimistic. I can be hopeful. I can be strengthened. strengthened. I, can, I can be anchored in my faith. See, during this time together and during this Christmas season, we are reminded that God sent his only son into this world and how that this event, when you think about it, friend, how that this event not only dramatically initiated something remarkable at the time in which it happened, but it's continuing to make its impact even right now. And that's what I want you to see. And I want you to realize, I was reading a book not too long ago. And in this book, this author makes this statement. Uh, he writes, Jesus's impact was greater a hundred years after his death than during his life. It was greater still after 500 years. After a thousand years, his legacy laid the foundation for much of Europe. And then he made this statement. After 2,000 years, which is the time that we're living in right now, after 2,000 years, he has more followers in more places than ever before. And I want you to think about that. Now, Jesus' entrance into the world, when God sent Jesus into the world, this Christmas light at the Christmas season, the reality is it not only changed that time, it's changing our time. So in that respect, Christmas is really the most wonderful time of the year. And I want to just say to you that when Jesus is at the center of your life, or my life, Jesus is at the core of your life, your faith is anchored in him. When that is true, when Jesus is at the center of our lives, we can become really that hopeful, that joyful, that anchored person that we really want to be. So even when life is seemingly messy, some of you know what that's like right now, even when it seems complicated, for some of you, you're at a time in your life that things have never been more complicated than they are right now. Even at a time when it seems that things are frightening or even dark, this is what I want you to know as we launch this series today, that there is indeed a Christmas light that is unlike any other, and you're about to see that beginning today. Now, some of you maybe grew up in church, and so when you grew up in church, uh, you came to understand that there was an, in the Bible, and uh, this is a little technical, but you, you came to understand that there is an Old Testament and then there's a New Testament in the Bible. And maybe that took, you know, a little while to sort that out. That would be commonplace. And then maybe once you got a little familiar with that, you started realizing, all right, uh, you know, the Old Testament is like prior to Jesus's life and ministry and Christmas, you know, but then afterwards, like when you start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it starts talking about Jesus' life and miracles. And so there are four Gospels, which are actually... Um, four ways, different writers, Matthew, Mark, obviously, Luke, John, the one who's the letters or the epistles or the accounts. And what they are simply is this, four accounts of Jesus's life told from four different people. Now, I think this is unique. And again, this is sort of a technical thing, sort of a theological thing, but hang in here with me. I'm going to jump right back to the practical reality of what we're talking about today. But it's beautiful when you think about it, that you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and we can sort of put them in 
said, or you take Paul, or you take the Apostle Peter, or you take some of the old prophets, minor, major prophets. And here's the remarkable thing that God does. Uh, the scripture uses this idea of God breathing. This word is not in the Bible, inspiration, but we think of it in terms of inspiration, that God breathed, that there was a sense of breath. As God breathed upon people, and these people would write what they would write, and God would make sure that it would be preserved in the Bible. But the cool thing about how God works is that God used the uniqueness of their personalities. So although Matthew is telling the story that he's seen about Jesus, and so is Mark and Luke and John, beautiful thing is they're writing about many of the similar events in Jesus's life, but God uses their own personality. And I'm going to point out some characteristics of that in just a moment. And so I think that's a really cool thing. God says, here's what I want in my word. I'm going to breathe on you. You're going to write it, but I'm going to use your personality to do it. So as a result of that, they talk about the same events, but sometimes it's slightly different. Now, I've just got to tell you, when I started out in church, I didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. Some of you have heard me say this before. Uh, I was told what I tell people today. I'm like, I'm a Christian now. I've been going to church. I committed my life to Jesus, invited Christ to come into my life as the Savior and leader and forgiver of my life. And so I'm like, because I was a Christian, I wanted to read the Bible. So I'd say to people, hey, where do I start? You know, it's a big book, 66 books in one book. And where do I start? And they're like, start in Matthew. And I'd heard that enough to say, well, you know, I'm not going to start in Genesis. I'm going to start in Matthew. And so I read Matthew, all 28 chapters of Matthew. And like a great book, I went into the next book, the next chapter, the next verse. And so I turned the page and I'm at Mark 1. And I start reading Mark 1, 2, and 3. And I read all of Mark. And, and somewhere as I'm reading Mark, especially as I got into Luke, and I'm like, deja vu. It's like maybe I heard this when I was young and I don't remember it. And nobody had ever explained to me that it's basically writing about the same events it's just four people doing it. And so I'd read something. I'd, I, you know, maybe I was thinking I was either dumb or smart because like, wow, I must be smart because I probably heard that when I was in church when I was five years old. But I'm like, no, then it finally hit me. No, you just read that a month ago. How many of you are with me? All right. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now, what is interesting to me, how many of you are with me? Wave at me, all right? I want you to hang in here. Listen, this is going to be something that's going to be helpful to you. What is inter interesting to me is that when Matthew and Luke write their gospels, or some people are calling them epistles, when they write their gospels or their epistles, Matthew and Luke start with what is like a birth announcement of Jesus. They start right there at the very beginning. It's like a birth announcement of Jesus. But what is unique, and here's where the difference is, Matthew and Luke start, their gospels that way, but Mark and John do not. In fact, let me tell you something that is unique about John. All right. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe you've never heard this. And it's going to be the first time you hear it today. John, most scholars believe that when John finally gets around to writing his gospel, that he is a very old man at this point. And it's almost like, you know, John is like, wow, you know, if I'm going to take all of these miracles and all of these stories and details concerning Jesus' life and ministry, then I better get it down. I'm getting up in years. I don't know how much longer I have. And he probably didn't have a whole lot longer. So he says, I better get these facts and specifics on paper. I better get after it even now. And so John, this is unique. John is a very old man. So he's had all this time, all these years. to re He was a contemporary of Jesus. So you're thinking he's probably maybe around the same age of Jesus. And so now he's an old man. And we know that Jesus was crucified probably in his early 30s. And so John is an old guy and he's reflecting back. Now, here's a couple of things that you need to know about John. 
It is also John, who is good at summarizing things, it is also John who took everything that he knew about God. It's like he just, you know, he's an old guy reflecting now, and he just took the breadth and scope of everything that he knew about God, and he said, if I could condense it all down, and I could put one descriptive word out there that would help you know who and what God is, then here's the word. And this is how John communicated, all right? He took all he knew about God, brought it down into one word, and this is what John said in his gospel. He said, God is love. He said, I could tell you so many different things about it, but when you take God for who he is, what he really does, God is, and this is how he brings it down. It was John who said that. It was John, just in case you forgot, that it was John who was at the, uh, who was at the uh, crucifixion of Jesus. Now, uh, again, I mentioned these kind of things, and some of you are like, why would you even do that? Because there's a lot of people sitting in church today that were like me when I started out in church. I didn't know the difference between John the Baptist and the Apostle John. John is John is John and John. So I didn't know like there's this John the Baptist and, uh, and the Apostle John. Now, the John that we're talking about, because by the time of crucifixion, John the Baptist has already been beheaded. He's already dead. But John the Apostle has not lived a very long life. But it was this same John that was at the crucifixion of Jesus. A lot of you will remember this. This will come back to you. When while being crucified, uh, John is there, and he's there with Mary, Jesus' mother, and other family members and friends of Jesus. And Jesus, from the cross, looks out at his own mom, and he says to his mom, Mom, here's your son. And he wasn't talking about him at this point. He's talking about John. And he says, from the cross, in the waning moments of his life, he said, and John, here's your mom. In, in indicating this, his mother. And that meant a whole lot because, you know, in that day, in that culture, most people believe, and I do as well, that, that uh, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, had already died some years prior to this. And so, uh, you know, uh, culture was such that uh, oftentimes a lady could not get out in the marketplace and earn a living. And would basically, there was no kind of governmental assistance that would be able to sustain. So that person is in real trouble unless they have family and friends to support them. And so Jesus and probably his siblings, I'm sure, have been helping to support Mary. But now Jesus is dying. And it's like, he's like, um, John, here's your mom. And I want you to take really, really good care of mom. So John, when he's writing his gospel, is probably reflecting on this. In fact, don't you know, there, there must have been a myriads of questions that, that John had because he's, can you imagine because Mary, you know, you, you imagine that it's not too far after that, that Mary moves into the home of, of John the apostle. You know, she's been with Jesus, she's been taking care of her and now like she's, and now John is able to have all these interesting dialogues with Mary, like Mary, hey, you know, I was around Jesus in a lot of his adult ministry and, you know, um, I've seen, you know, his miracles, I've seen his life. I've heard his teachings. I'm going to write about it sometime. But hey, I want you to tell me things about Jesus that I don't know. I mean, when he was a kid, when he was born, growing up, when he was like a toddler, when he was, you know, what was it like? And can't you imagine conversations that would sometimes happen, happen in the evenings when, when John would say, hey, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. A number of years ago, Matt Lucato, some of you know, he's a Christian writer. He wrote this book called God Came Near. And in that book, what he does is he writes what he says, 25 questions for Mary. And uh, very interesting. You know, I was intrigued when I read through that list of 25. And, and maybe it was similar to some of the questions that Mary was asked by John once she like moved in. 25 questions, I'm not going to read them all, but I'll read just a few. Uh, 25 questions for Mary. Number one, 
What was it like watching him, speaking of Jesus, what was it like watching him pray? Here's another question. When he saw a rainbow, did he mention a flood? Here's another one. Did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? How about this one? When he saw a lamb, when Jesus saw a lamb being led to the slaughter, did he act differently? Another question. Did you ever see him with a distant look on his face as if he were listening to someone that you couldn't see? Another question. Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? Did you ever try to start, uh, count the stars with him at night and succeed? How about this question? Did you ever accidentally call him father? Did his brothers and sisters understand what was happening? I love this one. Did you ever think, last one I'll read, did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? <laughs> Questions for Mary. And I would imagine that John was basically, hey, you know, I got a chance to see all of his life. I got to see all of his miracles, but tell me more, tell me more. Now, let's go back to John. By the time that John writes his gospel, he has already lost, and keep this in mind. Are you with me? I know I'm giving you a lot of background, but this is a, sort of the kickoff message of this series. Wave at me like this if you're with me. All right, you with me? By the time that John writes his gospel, as I mentioned to you, he's not only an old man, but he has lost scores of family members and friends. Two people that he knew very, very well. He knew the apostle Paul, and he knew the apostle Peter, and he knows that both of them had been executed by Nero. John has experienced all kinds of loss. He's seen all kinds of things. He has experienced, by the way, by the time John writes his gospel as a very old man, he has experienced loss and tragedy and affliction at a level that you and I cannot even begin to wrap our mind around. And yet the cool thing about it with John is John had seen all this. He has seen everything that has happened. And John never wavered in his faith. I want you to think about that. John never lost his faith. In fact, I want you to take a look on the screen at what he writes near the end of his narrative. He's getting near the end of his gospel. And again, he's good at summarizing things. And this is what John writes. This is out of chapter 20. I want everybody to look at this with me, please. He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs. John wrote about, by the way, just so you know, John wrote about seven miraculous signs that Jesus did. All right, seven. But he's saying, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. Look at this. You probably never looked at this as closely before. But these are written that you may what? That you may believe that Jesus is who? That he's the Christ, the son of God. And that, this is a really important part. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. I hope that you really captured what John is saying here. And if you didn't, I hope that you will. And let me just touch on it for just a moment before we move on. What is John really saying here? It is so important that you and I grasp this. He is saying, Jesus did many other things. It's like John is saying, you know what? I have spatial limitation. I can only get so many characters. I can only get so many stories. I told you seven, but it's like there are so many other things that Jesus did that I'm not able to write about. It won't even fit in this book. And uh, in, in fact, uh, you know, the other gospel writers not going to be able to fit. Jesus did so many other things. And then he adds to it. You see it there on the screen. He said so many other things. Why are these written? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
And that's what John is wanting you and I to know. It's a very old man. He's writing his gospel. He said, there is a purpose behind the life. There's a purpose behind the stories and the miracles. What John is saying is, I want you to believe. I want you to believe that Jesus is who he claimed that he was, that he is the son of God. But I want you to see this next part. And that by believing. I want you to believe the other things that, you know, I could write about, but I didn't, but I wrote these things so that you may believe. And by believing, look at it again, that by believing you may have life, you may have life in his name. Is he speaking of physical life? Absolutely not. John's not saying that you may have life, life physically, because they already had life physically. He said that you may have life, and he's talking here about another kind of life. He's talking about a life that is beyond this life. And you know, friends, that's what you and I have as Christians. This is the beauty of the light of Christmas, that Jesus came into the world, sent by God at Christmas, and that in him, when we receive him and embrace him, and he cleanses us and forgives us of our sins, and we receive him into our life and choose that we're going to be his follower. The fact of the matter is that you and I live with the hope and the joy and the optimism that there really is, catch this now, a life that is beyond this life. On Friday night, Less than two days ago, less than 48 hours ago, I visited in the home of the Marsh at Warren family. Most of you by now know who Marsh is. Marsh is in her mid-40s. Some time ago, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It spread to other parts of her body, her liver, and other parts of the body. And, uh, and now it appears that unless God provides like a last-second miracle, that Marsha really doesn't have long for this world. Marcia has an amazing family. She's an amazing person herself. And her husband, Brian, and they have these three kids, and they're awesome kids, and they're like 18 and 14 and 12. That's their ages. And, and I was in their home, and I spent a considerable amount of time there, and I've been back and forth with Brian, and I knew that things were drawing near. In fact, I mean, if you think you've got some problems, just think, insert yourself into the life of this family when, when you got Brian and these three kids just hoping against hope that maybe Marcia will make it till Christmas. And again, unless God performs a last-second miracle, that may not be a reality. So I spent some time with the kids. They're great kids. They love God. They're great, great kids. And I spent some time with them, talking to them, and just, hey, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? And, and so I had some time with the kids and Brian, and then Brian and I went to where Marcia was, and I I got to where, you know, Marcia and I could communicate, and I just, I just asked her, I said, hey, Marcia, I just, you know, I want you to know that, you know, I so respect and so admire you, the way you have handled this time in your life. I mean, the way that you have kept the faith, it is, it is, a, is it an encouragement and a motivation to us all, told that we're praying for her said, Marcia, I know, and you know that, you know, unless God does something here then, you know, it's like you don't have much time, and, and you know, I, I just wonder, what are you wondering about? Is there any questions you have? Anything you want to talk to me about? Any fears you have? She said, no, I really don't have any fears. She said, Pastor Jeff, I'm really, really tired. I'm really tired, and I, I want to go. She said, you know, I don't have any fears. She said, I, I, I'm concerned about what is it like from here to there. And so we talked a little bit about that, how that, you know, it may be that she just like she's going for another nap and she closes her eyes and takes another nap. And in that next moment, she opens her eyes and she's in heaven. 
She said, uh, you know, will I be able to see my, uh, my family here on earth? And I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a scholar. I'm a pastor. But, you know, I, I took some what I thought, what I believe. I said, Marcia, I really think that God's going to allow you to see all the joyful occasions in the life of your family. I really believe that, that God will cause you to have an awareness of the good things that are going on in the life of your family. I'm like, now, if there's some problems or challenges or whatever down the road, no, I think God's going to hide you from that. And I said, the reason I think God's going to hide you from that is the Bible says there's going to be no sadness and no tears and anything that would make you sad or have tears. You're not going to know about that because there's going to be none of that in heaven. And we talked about that. And then I asked her, I said, all right, Marcia. I said, I'm just curious. Who's the first person you're going to look up when you get to heaven? And she just got sort of a smile on her face. And she said, my grandma. I said, well, listen, that's going to be wonderful. And let me, just, let me just go ahead and tell you, not only are you going to be looking for your grandma, but I'm telling you, Marcia, when you get to heaven, your grandma's going to be looking for you. And she's going to recognize you. And there's going to be a home going. And then she said words that I'll never forget. And I pass on to you this morning. And then she smiled again. And she said, and I can't wait to see Jesus. John said, there are so many other things that I could tell you about. I mean, I've told you about seven, these miraculous signs, so many things. We can't even get them. Mark, Luke, John, we, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're not going to be able to get them. So many other things. I've told you about seven, but there's so many other things. Why have I put this in my gospel? It's so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life, not physical life, but life that is beyond this life. Take you back to John one more time. So John is this really old guy at this point. He has seen and heard and personally experienced a lot. Scores of his friends have died, many of them executed. His witness, the devastation, by the way, of the temple, which was sacred to every Jew. And really, he had seen the destruction of the Jewish nation, for that matter. If we had more time, I'd talk about that. The Jews had actually hoped that Jesus was going to lead a, a revolt against the Romans and, and that they would once again gain the upper hand and restore the nation of Israel. But that was not the mission of Jesus, and he made that quite clear. John had a front row seat, the same John, at Jesus' death. We already talked about that when Jesus says from the cross, John, here's your mom. Mom, here's your son. And Jesus uh, looked out, and when he said that, he sees John. But John was not only there at the crucifixion of Jesus, he was also at the resurrection. Perhaps some of you, if you've read this before, have forgotten that at the notion of the empty tomb, the news, the announcement of that, which ladies had discovered, first of all, went back to the apostles and told them, who is it that runs to the tomb of Jesus to see if, in fact, it is vacant? Who is it? It is Peter and it is John, this same John. And John reaches that time in his life and he's sitting back and he's reflecting on these realities and so much more. It's like he has a chance. I saw his life. I saw his miracles. I saw these signs. I wrote about some of them, but not all of them. And, you know, I've seen his, I've seen his, his crucifixion. I was there. I walked into the empty tomb and he was gone and he made his appearance to all of us. And, and I've seen these things and he's reflecting on all of that. And then he summarizes it and he's, as he does again. And he's really good at it into a couple of verses, and this is sort of really the, the verses that the title of our whole series comes from, and I'm just telling you, you will not, you will not, you will not want to miss next week, I promise you, but I want you to look how we're going to wrap this up today. This is what John said. In Jesus, there was life, and that life was the what? The light of all people, 
This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, what, overpowered it. The darkness has not overpowered. Maybe you've never thought of it this way before, but John declares, John reveals, listen to this now, this is really important, that although Jesus was a Jew, that his life was not a Jewish light, but a light, this is what John said, for all people. The life was the light of all people. And that this Christmas light shines in the darkness. And you just have to know, friends, and I don't have time to get into it because we're out of time. But when John writes that, that this light shines in the darkness, John writes, it was true of his life. At that moment, he had experienced it. The magnitude of the darkness that John was familiar with was incomprehensible. But John was not finished because he added, and the darkness has not overpowered this light. You know what John has said? It never has, and it never will. And as we wrap up today, throughout history, I think you realize this, throughout history, there have been endless efforts to overpower, to overwhelm, to overcome this light, to seize it, to imprison it, to oppress it, to snuff it out. But all of these have been efforts in futility. I want you to know, listen to this. Caesar tried, but he could not do it. Tiberius tried, and he could not do it. Nero tried and he could not. They thought that they all could stop this light. They all thought, and then in more modern years, uh, atheism said, we're going to stop it. We'll put out this light. And, and atheism said, no more. And communism said, no more. And skepticism says, we're going to overwhelm and overpower this Christmas light. But I remind you on the first Sunday of this series that this is light that is light, no other light. And it still shines as brightly as it ever has before. So if your heart is broken or your loneliness is heavy or your depression is deep or your doubts are persistent or your fears seem paralyzing or your pain feels unending, I want you to know that there is always hope and there is always a reason to believe. And there is a, the reality of a real God who is everywhere present with us. And we have Jesus, a Christmas light that can never be overpowered. Will you stand with me for a closing prayer? There's two verses we're gonna put on the screen here. Two verses you just saw a moment ago. Now, I, I read it a while ago, but this is how we're gonna to end today. I, and again, it just sort of sets the stage. Next week, I'll just go ahead, bring somebody with you next week. Again, if you can only get them here, bring them on the 23rd. But if you can get people here, we're going to talk about another kind of king. There was King Jesus, but there was another kind of king. And it's going to be an interesting, I'm going to talk about some things around the Christmas story you've never seen before. And I want you to be here. But this is what sets the stage for our series. And I want you to read it with me. Everybody read it with me. Are you ready? In him, there was life. And that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overpowered it. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that we can all be together. And thank you for every person that can be reminded, even in these moments, no matter what they're going through, no matter how crazy and chaotic and messy and dark and confusing their life is right now, help them to realize that there is a light that is light, no other light and that this light is still breaking into the world. So God, you are there, you're a real God, and you care about us in so many ways. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you just say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I'm just right now, I'm walking through a tough time. This does not seem like right now yet, 
the most wonderful time of the year because of the challenge going on in and around my life. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just lift up your hand real high. Lift it up and let me see it. Let me pray for you right where you're standing. So God, you see, you understand, you know. God, I just pray that you would bring life and hope and joy into the lives of these that are walking through their current challenge. Help them to know that you are there, that you're not going to leave them, you're not going to forsake them, that you really are. And everything has tried to put out this light for a long, long time, but it still shines. It's still going to shine in their situation, and you're going to restore their faith and their joy and their peace. And I just thank you for that today. Be with us this week. Be with us as we come back for this series next week, part two. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week.